night. Good morning, Celebration Church. How you guys doing today? Good. Happy Easter. He is risen. All right. Awesome. I I love Easter Sunday. Um, I, I love the fact that you know we get to come and celebrate the the risen King, and I also um, I love Easter eggs. I, I love going home and um, hiding Easter eggs, and my daughter Avery this year has been obsessed with catching the Easter bunny. Um, for weeks, she said, I, I've got to set up a trap. I went into her room one day, and there were toys placed by her bed in like a, a Jenga-style thing, so if you touched one, it would collapse. I said, Avery, what is this for? She goes, if the bunny comes into my room, I'm going to catch it. And so I don't know if she set up a trap last night, but before bed, she was telling me she's going to catch the bunny. But, but I love uh, having fun on Easter, and I, I love the, the Easter egg hunts that we get to do. Now, often, though, Easter egg hunts only happen with kids. So I would invite you guys now, under one of these chairs is an Easter egg. So everyone needs to, to reach under their chair and see if there's an actual Easter egg taped to the top of your chair. Oh, there we have it in the back. I have something for you. Um, at the end of service, come up. I have a, tar- a $50 Target gift card for you. Thank you for coming. And um, yeah, I know it's tar- everybody loves Target, right? And uh, so thank you for coming. Now, that, now you can say that you got an Easter bunny visit <laughs> on Easter Sunday. Now, I, I love Easter. I love what we get to celebrate. And um, let me pray for us as, as we dive in uh, today. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you that, uh, that we get to celebrate the risen king. The, the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that he didn't stay dead, he, he got out of that grave, God, he conquered death, defeating sin, and showing us that we get to have life eternally with him. So God, we thank you that today is the most incredible day in history that we get to celebrate, and I ask that you touch everybody here in person and online. We thank you, we love you, and everybody said, amen. Now, today we're going to talk a lot about the love of God. You know, spoiler alert, right? The, the resurrection story, Jesus rising from the dead, and how this was an incredible act of love for the world. It's the love of God that continually offers us new life through the risen Savior. And that's something we're celebrating, not just today, but that's something we're celebrating every day. The fact that God's love is so good, so big, that death couldn't even hold it down. Now, we're going to talk about the reigning love of God. In the next four weeks, actually, we're going to talk about how love reigns in different aspects of our lives, starting with this day in history so many years ago. Now, God's love is so amazing. It transforms our past. It transforms our present. It transforms our future. And I think many people underestimate the power of love. I would argue, there it is. Mm. Everybody knows this, right? The power of love. It's okay to dance in church sometimes. It's okay, bob your heads, it's good. Now, I would argue, however, Love is one of the most powerful forces on earth. Love causes people to do crazy things. You can never underestimate the power that love has. And many men in this room, you may even be thinking of different things that you've done over the course of your life that are a little bit crazy to show your wife that you loved them. Or if you've dated someone, that something you've done that maybe didn't make sense to show that this person, or or ladies, maybe you've done it for for a guy, something to show how much you love this person. Because love can cause us to do crazy things. In fact, people in history have done some incredibly ridiculous things to show people that they love them. Sometimes, love stinks. Literally. For example, a farmer named Dick Kleiss was looking for ideas to give his wife a birthday greeting, and he must have noticed the spare manure he had lying around on his farm. 55,000 kilograms of it, to be exact. So he went for it. 
he used the manure to write out happy birthday to his wife. She was not impressed, right? Sometimes love is crazy, makes you do unimaginable things, but incredible things. In the 1950s, a man named uh, Lu, and I'm gonna butcher the last name, Giao Zheng, fell in love with Zhu Xiaoqing. What was the problem? Lu was 19 years old, and, and Zhu was a recently widowed mother 10 years older than him. Society in that time said they could not stay together, so they decided they didn't need society anymore, and they ran from their village and found a cave to live in away from everybody else. As they got older, they had kids, and the climb grew harder and harder to this cave. Lou spent the next 50 years hand-carving 6,000 steps going to this cave for his wife, so as she aged, she could get home easy. Seems crazy when we think about it, but that was something love drove this man to do. For us, it wouldn't make, <clears throat> may not make sense, but Lou's a much better man than I am. But he did this for his wife. There are a lot of things people have done in the name of love, and maybe you can relate to, to one of these things. Maybe you've had body work or tattoo given because you love somebody. Maybe you've moved, totally relocated to show someone how much you love. Maybe you've changed your friendships. Love has caused you to make some, some social shifts. Maybe you've quit a job. Maybe you've given things away. Maybe love has caused your loved one to give some of your things away because they love you. I didn't need that anymore anyways, right? Love causes you, thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> love causes you to reveal all your hidden secrets, to have that moment where there, there's no more barriers. You just, you bear your soul to somebody. Love causes people to change. And love causes people to sacrifice. Sacrifice something of yours to prove that this other person is more important to you than this object or thing is. L love is the driving force behind so much of what we do, behind our, our actions towards family and friends. And maybe uh, most people will gladly pay any price to demonstrate how, demonstrate how much they love and how much they care. Love is incredibly powerful, and it moves us to do amazing things. And love moved God to do the most amazing thing for us. But before this act could happen, before there ever was an Easter Sunday, there was a Good Friday. Before there ever was an, a resurrection, there, there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a death. And that death had to be absolutely perfect. Go down in history as one of the most gruesome deaths, but the most perfect death for our souls. And this was a time where, where kings had ruled, and God sent his only son to be the king of us, the king of the nation, the king of Israel, the king of our hearts, and to show us that all throughout the land, there could only be one king. There can only be one king. For 33 years, Jesus walked the earth. And as, as he walked the earth, he was performing miracles all the, of all kinds. He was healing the broken. He had rose a few people from the dead. He had delivered the oppressed. He had announced that the kingdom was coming. The kingdom of God was at hand, and he showed this incredible love to everybody. Even in his anger when he stormed the temple, when we talked about a few weeks ago, he showed an incredible love. He showed the love of God for the lame, the love of God for the oppressed, the love that everybody so desperately needs. But this kind of thinking and teaching, this caused a lot of conflict. This caused a lot of people who were in authority to think that Jesus was trying to overthrow their political authority when Jesus' mission was not a political mission. It was a God mission, a heart mission, a love mission. You see, in, in that time, um, Rome had ruled, and they had placed a king in charge. They had installed a vassal king named Herod the Great. What he was really great at was being a tyrant. 
but he was Herod the Great, and he was in charge to keep things in order for Rome. So even Herod had someone to answer to. But Herod lived in this constant fear that he was going to be overthrown, this constant fear that someone or something was going to challenge his authority. So when word got to him that there is now this new king, that the Jews are proclaiming a new king has come, the rightful king, Herod was not happy. Herod was a jealous man, and this was going to be a threat to his rule and potential Roman rule. So it had to be eradicated. Herod wanted to make sure that everyone knew both Herod and Jesus could not reign over Israel. Both Herod and Jesus could not reign at the same time. Herod was determined to put a stop to this. And so the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman centurions worked together to ultimately have Jesus arrested. They had him arrested. He was brought to trial for his claims. He was beaten. He was tortured nearly to death in those moments. And then he was forced to carry a rugged wooden cross all the way to the hill that eventually he would be crucified on. If you turn to Matthew 27, uh, we're going to read a little bit of, of that crucifixion as we go into the resurrection. So Matthew 27, starting in verse 32, says this. As they were going out, they found a Cyrenian man named Simon. They forced this man to carry his cross. When they came to a place called Golgotha, which means skull place, they gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. After crucifying him, they divided his clothes by casting lots. Then they sat down and were guarding him there. Above his head, they put a charge, up against, a charge on him, writing, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two criminals were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their head, saying, The one who would demolish the sanctuary and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. And the same way the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him and said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. This is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. It's a pretty powerful story, especially when you understand what goes into this crucifixion. Um, another scripture actually says that Jesus was so beaten on this journey that people walking by did not recognize him. He was that disfigured and mangled, but this is something that he went through willingly for our sake. Talk about an incredible act of love. The crucifixion of Jesus, was, it was marked with ridicule and disbelief. People, as he was hanging there, they continued to spit. They continued to laugh and mock and charge him, if you really are. If you can do this, then do it. Prove it. They put that sign over his head that said, Jesus, King of the Jews. Even though they didn't believe it, they were still mocking him. They passed and mocked, saying, save yourself. Priests and teachers even mocked Jesus, saying, if you're really the king, do it. Prove it and get off right now. But there's something that they didn't understand. They didn't understand that the test of Jesus' power and authority was not in his ability to save himself from crucifixion, it was his ability to overcome the death that the crucifixion was going to cause. It was not because he could get himself off. It was his power to overcome what was happening after the crucifixion. And sometimes, we, we miss that sometimes, right? We, we can miss the proof of the lordship of who Jesus is because we, start, we can start putting bargains on it. We can start saying, you know what, God, if you really are there, then do this. God, if you really are there, then do that. How many times have we said that? God, if you are there, you wouldn't let this happen. If you are there, you would let this happen. Um, I'll, I'll admit, there are times I still wrestle with that. I'm like, God, I'm praying for this. Prove to me you're here and make this happen. But that's, that's a shift that we have to make in our minds. 
Sometimes people, we decide in our hearts that we're never going to trust him until he meets our expectations. We start saying, it's, it's really about me. I know you, you may have died, you may have rose again, but now what are you going to do for me? What, what does this have to do for me? How, how can I use this power for my own good instead? Unless Jesus heals my relative, unless he gives me a job, unless he stops world hunger, unless he brings world peace, unless you write a message in the sky that says, look at me, I'm right here. I'm not going to believe it, and I'm not going to give you authority over my life. And we get to this point, we have a hard time allowing him to, to be our king because we want ourselves to be Lord over him instead of letting him be Lord over us. We have to shift our minds to know that he's in charge. When we love and serve him, we begin to understand that his love is so much greater than anything we could want, so much greater than anything we could ask for. His love is enough. It is more than enough. When we love and serve him, we begin to understand that his love is so much greater and his will ultimately reigns. His love ultimately reigns, and that his decisions and what does and what doesn't fly, those are the ones that happen. Not our decisions are the ones that don't, they don't happen. It's all about him. This kind of mentality is what we struggle with. They struggled with it, the, the people that were present at Jesus' death. They couldn't get their minds around this. They could get their minds around, if he would only do this, then he would prove us all wrong. They were demanding he prove it in the moment. It's the same mentality that drove Herod to be a part of this. Herod got to talk to Jesus before the crucifixion, and he did the same thing. Prove it. Prove it. Jesus wouldn't do it. He let his actions do the talking. When we demand that Jesus prove himself on our terms, we rob ourselves of seeing his work in our lives. When we demand that he proves himself on our terms, we rob ourselves of seeing his work in our lives. And Herod was not the last one. He was not the last and only one to be threatened by the kingship of Jesus. He was not the only one to struggle with this idea that, that Jesus being in charge is a good thing. The truth is, we struggle with that so much today. It's so easy to say, I want to be in charge. It's so hard to say, Jesus, you are in charge of it all. In our lives, there can only be one king as well, right? We, we, we can't serve two masters, and we have an example of the king who is worth serving every day in this book. The one who says, I will do anything to show you how much I love you, and that included the biggest sacrifice of all, God sending Jesus to die for us. It's been said that whoever sits on the throne of our hearts will be the one who reigns in our lives. So then it comes down to the reflection question, right? If, if we, have this, we have this Jesus... We have this man, this the son of God, God in the flesh coming and walking on earth, showing this incredible love, ultimately dying on that cross. We then get to put all that per into perspective and say, is this the man that I want on the throne of my life? Or am I still going to be the one that sits on the throne of my heart? Am I going to sit on this throne or am I going to let him? Often we can, we can choose a selfish one. That's a, that's a struggle that we, we go through for our whole lives in, in different moments. Am I going to do this moment to, to put myself back in charge, or am I going to still step aside and say, Jesus, the throne of my heart is yours. The throne of my heart is for you. It's for you to live in. It's for you to reign over my life. <clears throat> when Jesus is on the throne of our lives, that's when we see love really start to reign. And we see love really start to pour out. And we see love not just in our words, but we see it in our actions. We see it in our attitudes. We see it in the way we talk with people. We see it in the way people respond to us because it's really, really hard for someone to come against someone else doing a genuine act of love. <clears throat> so when it comes to the way you speak, the way we act, and the way we live, there can only be one king that guides that, and that is the king who reigns with love. But if Jesus is dead, 
if the story ends with Jesus on the cross, then none of this matters. None of it really matters. But if he is risen from the dead, if it's true, that changes everything. Literally changes everything about scripture. He is the king. He is alive. And his love is so amazing that he literally beat and overcame death. The only man in history that can say, came, died, and beat it because he was the son of God. His love overcame death. Three days after he was crucified, he laid in the tomb. But to everyone's shock and amazement, this happens. In John chapter 20, it says this. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Then she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, which is John. He kind of likes to talk about himself in that way. And he said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. At that, Peter and the other disciples went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. See, John, again, likes to gloat himself. We get to spend eternity with this man who says, I was there first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then, following him, Simon Peter came also. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple, here it is, who reached the tomb first, then entered the tomb, saw, and believed. For they still did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went home again. There's so much in that passage that is incredible. Not just the speed at which the disciple whom Jesus loved got there, but the power of the fact that they saw him die. They put the body in the tomb. They wrapped this up. They knew he was dead. They were there. And now Jesus was not. That's an incredible moment. Jesus then goes on to appear in bodily form to many of the disciples. This had never happened before. They had seen Jesus raise people from the dead, but they have never seen someone raise themselves from the dead. This changed everything. This showed them that Jesus was alive. Jesus was dead. Now he was eating with them. He was walking with them. He was talking with them. He was performing more miracles. Jesus' love for humanity overcame death, defeated evil once and for all. His resurrection was the proof that he was who he said he was. He is who he said he is, and he will always be forever who he is. There's a renowned artist, Paul Gustave Doré, in 1821 to 1883. Now, while he was traveling, he lost his passport in Europe. So he came to a border crossing, and he explained his predicament to one of the guards, giving his name to the official. Doré hoped that he would be recognized. His, his fame would allow him to cross the border. The guard, however, said that many people attempt to cross the border by claiming to be who they're not, so he needed proof. Dory insisted he was the man he claimed to be, so the official came up with an idea. said, okay, I'll give you a test, and if you pass it, I'll let you go through. Handing him a pencil and a sheet of paper, he said, sketch several people standing nearby to the quality that this artist would do. So Dory did it. And he did it so quickly and so skillfully that the guard was convinced he was who he said he was and he let him pass. Dory's work confirmed his word. I love that we serve a God, we have Jesus, and his work confirmed his word. What he did was validated by, by everything, everything he said was validated by what he did. He left no stone unturned, literally left no stone unturned. His love overcame all. I love that the this, this scripture, John three sixteen, tells us 
something so amazing. It is the most memorized verse in Scripture. It is the most powerful verse in Scripture, the most translated verse in Scripture, but it's the gospel in a nutshell. Without this verse, without the resurrection, Jesus would have been an amazing miracle worker. Jesus would have been an amazing teacher. Jesus would have been someone worth following. Jesus would have been someone that showed love in a way no one had ever experienced. But without the resurrection, Jesus would have been a liar. Without the resurrection, all these claims that he had about being at the right hand of God, the the claims that he would rise, that he would bridge that gap of sin, without the resurrection, all of it means nothing. And Jesus would have been a liar on top of these other things. But only the Son of God could have been that perfect sacrifice. Only the Son of God could have been the one that took away our sins on the cross. Only the Son of God could have been the one that said, death, you are beaten. Death, you get to move aside. Death, I get to come forward because you have no power over me. You have no power over my people. You have no power over the world anymore. Only the Son of God gets to make those claims and proclaim it with such authority that death had to bow down and say, you are right. You are free. That's the God that we serve. That's the love of God that is shown. And that is why his love will always reign through all time. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved the world so much, he sent his son to die for us. Being a, being a dad, I have two girls, uh, 10 and 5, almost 6. My 10-year-old pretty much thinks she's going on 18. But be, being a dad, and, and then when I first became a dad, I'll say, this passage took a whole new meaning for me. I had understood the love of God, at least so I thought. I had an understanding of what God would do, how much he loved me, how much, how much I wanted to serve him. But when I became a dad, and then I put that verse in perspective, thinking, wow, I wouldn't give my daughter up for anybody. This is my daughter. I'd give up my life before I give up my child's life. To know that God said, here's my son, I'm sending him as a sacrifice for you, shifted everything for me. That is an incredible act of love. But this is why we get to celebrate today. We've been given an opportunity for eternal life. This, this opportunity to know that this time on here, here on earth, this is not the end game. This is the starting point of something so much greater because of the sacrifice that God did, because of the love that Jesus showed, there's so much more for us. We get to have eternity with him. We get to know that the the worst thing that could happen to us here on earth is not the end of the story. It's not the last thing that happens because we get to experience new life with him. After Jesus had been resurrected, he gave a final charge to his followers to reveal the truth of this Easter story. Matthew 28, 18 says this, Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Easter is that day. It's that day where all authority in heaven and on earth was given to Jesus. No matter how many people doubted, No matter how many people had questions that this man is making a lot of claims, this man claims to be the one true king, no matter how many mocked him, no matter how many doubted and ridiculed, he was still able to rescue himself from death and the entire world along with him as well, rescuing us all. No matter how many questions his power, he defeated the cross. No amount of doubters, no amount of ridicule would stop him from his mission to say this cross is not the end game, this is the starting point for the rest of us. Once and for all, the love of God was the authority reigning over the entire world and now our lives as well. 
The empty tomb, the resurrection of Jesus, this proves everything. It proves that he overcame the cross, and it was an incredible symbol of victory. If you guys, if you guys look at that cross over there, now obviously this is not the cross, but it'd be amazing to see the cross if it's around, but if you look at that cross, at the time, the cross was a symbol of, hum- of just embarrassment. It was a sign of criminals. It was the sign of humiliation. It was the sign of defeat. It was the literal sign of death. Only the worst of the worst were put on the cross. And Jesus was put on it. But I love that only the love of God can take that symbol, that symbol of death, defeat, humiliation, it can turn that into a symbol of love. Only God can turn that into a symbol of victory. Only God can turn that into a symbol of hope, the ultimate symbol that his love will reign forevermore. Only he could do that. And his final instruction was for the whole world to go make disciples, spread the good news, spread the word of what he had done because the love was not just for them and and those people that witnessed it. His love was for the whole world. His love was for, for them then. It was for us today. It's for the people around us that don't know who Jesus is. It's for every single person because his love reigns over the world. One of the greatest ways we get to to share this incredible love story of God is to make sure that we know God's reign, his love reigns, but let his love reign in your heart. Let God's love pour out through you. Let God's love transform how you speak and how you act and how you talk. Let God's love transform how you think about that neighbor who's blasting music when you're just trying to get your kid to sleep at night. We, we had a neighbor back when we lived in California who uh, he worked during the day, so he liked to watch movies outside at one in the morning. It was loud. I remember at night contemplating, do I call the police on this man? Then I Googled the city of Concord noise ordinance and there was none, so I was like, man, I can't even do that. I had to learn to go over and meet this guy. And turned out he was a really, really fun guy. I still hated his work hours but I got to to learn to to have a relationship with this guy. We have to learn to let love reign in us in these moments when there's someone we interact with where we don't want to love this person. It's not about what we want to do. It's about because of what Jesus did for us, what we get to do. And what we get to do, it is so, we are so privileged to be able to serve a God who loves us so much that his love literally pours out of us into the world. Let love reign in you. Today, if you consider yourself a, a Christian or a Christ follower, this instruction has been given to us. We're, we're a part of making disciples. The, the Greek word for this is mathetis, which means a learner or student. We're to allow ourselves to be learners, to allow ourselves to be students of Jesus through every aspect of our lives. And to be a disciple, this is a lifelong process. This isn't something where, where you decide, all right, I'm going to let Jesus in. Got it. Perfect. Life is clear. Man, we, we all mess up, and life, life is a roller coaster of emotions and situations and circumstances, and even our decisions lead to that roller coaster going good on some days, and oh man, now I, I really messed up and, and blew it, and this is now what's happening. But the great thing about the love of God is it's always there to put us back up at the top. It's always there to redeem us when we feel like we, we messed up and we're too low. To be a disciple means we're going to go through this lifelong process to become more like Jesus. And over time, we, we learn how to live generous lives. We learn how to to give to others. We learn how to forgive people. We learn how to serve people, and we learn how to love people. When we submit to the love of Jesus in our lives, we're compelled to live life like him, and that life invites others to join us. This is what it means to let love reign in your heart. I I became a believer um, when I was very, very young. I was raised in a church. I'm I'm a third-generation pastor. 
my grandpa was a pastor, my dad was a pastor, I was a children's pastor for 13 years, and, uh, and now, I'm, now I'm a lead pastor. But I became a believer when I was very young. I knew Jesus had loved me, he died for me and, and rose again, and, and I remember wanting to give him my life and, and doing it, but at such a young age, I don't think I really understood till later the vastness of what I was believing. It wasn't until high school one year at camp that I really decided to dive into his word, that I really decided, God, I want your love to be what motivates my life. And when I made that decision, so much changed in my life. I, and it's still something that I'm learning even to this day. I still grow, but I know that since that time, when I pray for Jesus to live in me, I've seen my life change in amazing ways. It helped me grow to be a better man. It helped me grow to be a better husband. It helped me grow to be a better father, a better friend, and, and a better pastor because I've made this decision to let the love of God lead my life, to be, follow him, to be a disciple for him, and let love reign. When we fully embrace the love of Jesus, the love that he showed on that cross, not just on the cross, but also with the resurrection, we begin to see that love pour in and pour out. I'd like to invite the worship team back up today. There's a final reminder that we are given by Jesus as he ascends into heaven. He says that he will be with us always, to the very end. He will never leave us. And, and maybe today, maybe today you, you're feeling like maybe you felt alone at some time. Maybe today you feel like I've come to this point in life and I know there's more, but I'm just not quite sure what I need to do to get there. I want to invite you to take the step into the love of God because it is the biggest step you could ever take, the most important step you could ever take, and the most loving thing you could ever do because he loves you so much. No matter what you go through, no matter what you face, no matter where you go in life, no matter what part of that roller coaster you're on, know that God's with you through it all. His love isn't a, I will love you if, it's a, I will love you no matter I will love you no matter what. <clears throat> I'm convinced that in this room, there, there's different types of people. Maybe you're in this room or maybe you're watching us online today and, and you've never made that decision to let this be the love that rules your life. You've never said, you know what? I want Jesus to be the one that reigns. I want Jesus to be the one that fuels my decisions, the one that fuels my life. I don't know this purpose yet, but I want this purpose. Maybe that's you today and you haven't made that call. I wanna invite you today to do it. I invite you today to ask Jesus into your heart, to, to be the one that lords over your life, to offer yourself to serve him, to become a disciple, to become a student for the rest of your life. Not an easy journey, but man, is the most fulfilling journey you could ever be a part of. I want to pray with you today if that's you. So if that's you today, I'm not going to ask you. I know sometimes churches may, may, may say, hey, will you please stand up so we can see you? I'm not going to do that. What I would like to do is I would like all, all of us to bow our heads. And if that's you today, join me in this prayer. You don't have to repeat after me. Just as I say it, just confirm it in your heart. Confirm it, you with God, if you're making this decision today, to let him come in and be that love that reigns. Jesus, we come before you today. God, some of us don't have you, have never made this decision for you to be the Lord over our lives. And today we confess that we mess up. We confess we're not perfect. God, we, we confess that, that we are human. We, we give in to our flesh and we do what we shouldn't do. God, we, we believe in your son, Jesus. We believe that he came, lived a perfect life, died on that cross, gave us an incredible act of love, conquering death, God, and we choose to follow you. So God, be the Lord of our hearts. Be the one who says, nothing will ever separate you from me and let me live with you forever. God, live in our hearts. We give ourselves to you forever and always, and we thank you for always being there for us.
Amen. If you prayed that today, welcome to the family. If you, maybe you didn't, but you still have questions, man, come talk to me after service. Come talk to me later. Shoot me an email. Give me a phone call. I'd love to talk to you about what this means to give your life to Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and you've trusted Jesus. You're like, no, I've already done that. But maybe you've stepped away for a while. Maybe this is the first time you've been in church in a long time. You don't know why. You just haven't been. But maybe you're saying, you know what? This is something I need to do. This is a recommitment that I need to make. This, this love is too important to say, I'm only going to come to it occasionally. This love is so important, I want to be a part of it all the time. If that's you, I've, my prayer for you today is this, that you make that new commitment. Start it now. Easter Sunday is not just a, a one-day thing. It's a lifelong celebration of the goodness and the love of God. So if that's you today, I want to invite you. Make that commitment. Let's do it. Come talk to me. Let's get some coffee. Let's talk about where you're at. How can I pray for you? Let's let Jesus be the one who reigns in our hearts. Would you all stand with me today? And this Easter, I pray that you, you see the resurrection. You experience the resurrection more than just a Sunday, but more than anything, the love of God touches you. The love of Jesus, his act on that cross touches you and inspires you and impacts you more than anything ever has in your life. And you say, God, I am going all in for you because your love reigns. Amen? God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you that your love is so good, God. So worth celebrating that it, it never leaves us. It never goes away, God. And it literally conquered death. God, I pray that as we leave here today, we take that, that with us. Our love pours out of this building. It pours out of our hearts into our neighbors, our families, our friends, our kids, God, that your love fuels and motivates everything we do. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your sacrifice. And we thank you for your resurrection, God. Your conquering death for giving and giving us eternity with you. We thank you. We love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.